Hi again, everybody. I'm Eric Fletcher. Welcome into another episode of Chasing Better Conversations, where we begin with this idea that consequential change often begins with the best conversations we are able to muster. In order to dive a bit deeper, I get to sit down for discussions with some friends, some colleagues, and a healthy dose of brand new acquaintances along the way. On today's episode, we bring back one of our earliest guests on Chasing Better Conversations, Larry Bridgesmith. Larry is a lawyer, a professor of law at Vanderbilt University, and a perpetual legal innovator, which makes him the perfect individual to sit down and have a conversation with about artificial intelligence or AI and uh, its impact on us in virtually every area of life right now. This is part one of a two-part discussion on AI and what we ought to be focused on. It is a pleasure for me to welcome back Larry Bridgesmith. No, it's delightful to be back. I, I love watching what you're doing, and it's always a pleasure to be in your aura. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> you're all too kind. It's good, good to have you back on, on the podcast. Let's start with this, if it's okay with you. It feels to me from cheap seats as if there's just an, a pretty consistent drumbeat of change, of uh, continued improvements, enhancements in the generative AI space weekly, it seems like, maybe sometimes daily. How does someone who's not working specifically in that space, how do we keep up? Well, I don't even know if you're working specifically in the space you can keep up. The rate of change is exponential. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. There's not a day that goes by sometimes multiple times a day that even though I'm solely focused on generative AI these days, something new comes across the radar screen that just makes you scratch your head. An example, today we were all informed that AI now can completely negotiate from beginning to end and execute, sign, and transmit an, an agreement, a contract with another AI. No humans involved. Now that, that sort of changes our perspective on things, doesn't it? That was today, right? Wow. Has that happened? Is that taking place? Or is this capability that, that some vendor wants to push? Where's that, where's that stand in reality? Well, this vendor is Luminance out of the UK, and they've been working mm -hmm. in AI for quite some time. They're a very well-known, recognized company. And they put on the backdrop of what had happened and had been previously reported by the participants. In other words, the parties who were negotiating this NDA, non-disclosure agreement, they had turned the negotiation over to the, the application built by Luminance called Autopilot. They'd given it all the particulars and they said, do it. And then they reported that within a couple of minutes, the negotiation was concluded, the document was signed and transmitted to all the parties. So Luminance then came out after that to explain what had happened, how it had happened. So it was, well, it, 
marketing is always questionable in terms of where it originates. Mm-hmm. That primary report could have been in, initiated by someone behind the scenes. But the point of it is that it captured all of our attentions, not just with the probability or possibility, but knowing the capacity of generative AI, the high likelihood that this isn't blowing smoke, this isn't vaporware. Now, time will tell because this is just a new event today, but that's the rate at which these things are changing, which gives rise to the question I think that's implicit in what you said, how much of what we're seeing is true? How much can we trust the output of generative AI? That's the bigger question in this moment in time. And I think we have to be very aware of that before we simply buy everything at face value when it comes across the wire. So if, if I were, if I were your client, how would I, how would, how would you advise me uh, mm-hmm. with respect to the, the, the question you just raised? I would encourage them to do kind of the same thing we ask anyone to do in, in the face of information that at least is questionable. Do we mm-hmm. ever take it at face value? Well, we're probably foolish to always take it at face value. Therefore, as in law, what kind of due diligence do we need to do to be assured to some degree of comfort, a, a large degree of comfort, that representations being made can be trusted? It's the work of a lawyer. Whether it's discovery and litigation or it's in a negotiation of a merger and acquisition, the due diligence stage is the preeminent basis on which things can proceed. If not satisfied, the deal's over. The case is lost. So that's the same principle that we're talking about here. We cannot accept technology at face value because until we can accept the origins of its sources and the backdrop against which it's made its decisions and recommendations, it's just like accepting an adversary's representation of what the facts are in a case sure. or, or what the worth of an organization is in a merger and acquisition. You, you can't do that. Well, that's the way we have to treat AI in the same way. If I'm in a firm, in a law firm, where are the places where AI mm-hmm. ought to be a conversation today if it's not already? Well, I think th- there's probably several layers on which I would try to answer that. And the first mm-hmm. one is, for what purpose does the firm consider AI as a possible assistance? Yep. 90% of AI implementations fail because they haven't been prepared to understand and address the business problem that they are supposedly being trained on. In other words, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Now, answering that question then allows us to decide, is this something AI can do? Is this a human resource problem? Is this a process problem that we can address? Because if you can't answer those two questions first, forget technology. Because technology will only aggravate uh, a problematic people problem, which could be training, experience, any number of deficiencies, or a process problem, which could be how the work has been done and how it might could be done better. Until those are addressed, technology isn't going to be of much help. We've really grown comfortable with certain types of AI for a long time, but the the fear that's 
associated with at least one of the fears that's associated with this new discussion with uh, generative AI, chat GPT at all, Mm -hmm. it seems to be, is my job at risk? Uh, whose job is at risk? Well, there's some very basic analogies that you can draw. Assume you're a tax accountant, and you were trained on the abacus to do your math. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the abacus. I mean, if you're skilled, it's pretty fascinating to watch, and it's usually right. Doesn't work at the speed of sound, though. Yeah. yeah. So you need a calculator with complex functions and features so that you don't have to do the math on a piece of paper. If you're going to do tax accounting or any kind of financial analysis and you are unwilling to use the technologies that will help you be more accurate, more efficient, are you being made obsolete or are you making yourself obsolete? Yeah, great question. that's the way I feel about AI. It's not going to make jobs obsolete. It's going to help people do their jobs better, faster, more accurately, with the proper guardrails. And I know we're going to get to that so that those fears can be assuaged and so that the value proposition is enhanced. If you're unwilling to use AI, generative AI in particular, with that basic understanding, you've probably chosen to make yourself obsolete. What are some other kind of easily accessible, out on the outskirts of this conversation, what are some other applications where we can say, ah, that's, that's, that's AI at work? Okay, you said it before, and I want to come back to it. It's a really critical delineator when we're talking about AI, because you have to ask, what AI are you talking about? Mm-hmm. There are close to a hundred different AI models and applications. The one that we're all focused on at the moment is one of the more recently um, highly publicized, and that's generative AI. Mm-hmm. If you have a sat nav, if you get from point A to point B, you're using an AI. It's not generative AI. But it's built upon an enormous amount of data that can help you not only find where you are or the best route to where you want to go. We're not afraid of that. We're not afraid of most of the AI that we depend upon, whether it's an Amazon suggestion for the next book we want to read. You know, AI is so prevalent in our world, virtually everything we do is touched by AI. So let's focus on generative AI because that's causing all of the storm. Have you seen uh, generative AI plopped down into the into practical applications inside professional service arena at this point? Yes, and it's happening uh, all the time, every day, in ways that we're not even aware of. And what I would like for us to do is distinguish between. What is the technology, which is the algorithms, you know, the Mm -hmm. way architecture in which it works Mm -hmm. and the data sets on which it is trained? Because the same technology can be trained on different kinds of data sets for different purposes. What we know of generative AI, specifically chat GPT and other large language models that have been trained on the data in the Internet, that's 45 
terabytes, if you can get your minds around that, of digital data. Or I think the number is three trillion words. If you think about the volume of the Internet content and you're thinking about generative AI managing and analyzing and then generating responses to your query, that's an enormous data set and it's full of misinformation, intentionally deceitful information. That's different than training it on a proprietary data set. This is where I'm seeing all of the real uh. phenomenal advances mm-hmm. because your data sets within a law firm particularly they can have everything to do with the uh, contracts. We've already talked about contracts. Every significant law firm has gazillions of contract terms. When AI, generative AI, is trained on that data set, it can answer a lot of questions for you and automate responses to those questions that help you as the lawyer say, okay, hadn't thought about that one. That's a really good clause to consider. Maybe in this case, we need to reconsider its value and then have a conversation about how that data supports your query and how it is contrary to your query so that the lawyer, the professional, is in the loop. That's what I think our biggest mistakes about generative AI have assumed, that we can take the people out of the loop. That's a prescription for disaster, in my view. Keeping the people in the loop is the manner in which we can keep generative AI specifically honest and accountable. I saw a piece this morning on one of the news shows about um, the firefighters out in the the western wilderness of the U.S., Mm -hmm. and they were just giddy over a recent application that they had applied in their work looking for wildfires before they rage out of control. It's AI, and they've been just overwhelmed with the capacity of this tool to help the firefighters know before the first 911 call is placed by a human being concerned about this fire, that there is a fire that needs to be deployed and extinguished, and it's not the people in the watchtower doing it alone. It's not the AI doing it alone. It's the combination of the two that maximize the ability to prevent wildfires in the United States West. It's happening today, and we're all better for it. So the the point is, what's the data set? What's the problem you're trying to solve? That's where you have to start. And I think that 90% failure factor is because people thinking AI is going to be the be-all and the end-all to all of their problems are just really asking for disaster. If you have a data set and you have a problem that you're trying to address that that data set can help you do, that's a perfect application for AI. What are two or three perfectly suited problems, or problems perfectly suited to the use of AI? But think about any of the, what I would call the digital data lakes, that every law firm has access to. What are they to begin with? Mm-hmm. Time and billing information, mm-hmm. all of which attests to the amount of time and the performer of tasks and the uh, accomplishment of objectives. That's a data set. 
that can be trained to do a number of things. One, it can help with utilization. Do we know who the best person is to perform this particular task at this moment in time? Well, the data is all there. And it's, I mean, AI, that's a walk in the park. Hmm. It's merely bringing together the facts that we humans really can't assimilate and being a part of a law firm for more decades than I care to admit, if you're a practice group leader, the utilization of your team is one of the toughest jobs you've got. Mm. Putting the right person with the right expertise and the right availability on the right task for the right client at the right time. That's tough. Yeah. What yeah. if AI could help you with that and you could go back to practice law? That'd be pretty cool if you're a practice group leader. Well, AI can. Mm. So what's the data set and what problem you're trying to solve? Those data sets also in law firms include project and case management data. Sure. As being a project management adherent for 20 years, every law firm has enough information in its own proprietary data to do a much better job of staffing and managing projects from start to finish because of the enormous amount of history in doing that kind of work with your team and the availability of the economics of that. In other words, who can do it most profitably, who can do it most efficiently, and what are the client's needs? All of that's a perfect application for AI. As a manager, I have communication responsibilities, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right out to my emails. One of the incredibly capable uh, tasks of AI, generative AI, is to ask it to give you advice on how to craft this message that I'm going to submit for the purposes of the various stakeholders' ears and understanding. Can you write the correct tone to communicate this message Mm -hmm. this group of people. AI is enormously beneficial with that. So your communications program Mm -hmm. benefit with generative AI and many other of what we would otherwise call soft skills. In my view today, law firms are challenged to the point of maybe extinction if they can't keep the talent pipeline Mm. full And if they can't recruit the right kind of people to do the jobs that require more than just a law degree and a law license, those are, you know, those are just the starters. Do they, do the people we need to bring into this law firm have the expertise, ability, mindset, aptitude to do this work when things are happening so fast? We can't just rely on, well, we've always done it that way as the response. Finding those people is the difference between thriving and failing today. And so I've had a conversations with a number, had one this morning with one of the largest consulting firms whose name you recognize in the legal department about their need, in the words of the current crop, talent manage for sustainability. How do they find the right people with the right skills, the right aptitudes, and the right cultural fit? 
because hiring someone that doesn't work out is a waste of time and money, money and credibility. Those are the kinds of things that AI and generative AI can help with. I'm a believer that we have only begun to see the potential capabilities of AI to help us do our work better. If you're familiar with the Gartner hype curve, you know, mm-hmm. technologies begin with little knowledge, little momentum, and little likelihood of success on a mm-hmm. sign curve. And then they rapidly, if they have any promise, reach this high peak of unreasonable expectations. But when that happens, they're inevitably going to fall down into the valley of despair, according to Gardner, before they can ever, if possible, recover to the plateau of productivity. I think that's an excellent way to think about emerging technologies. Today, generative AI is at the peak of hype in terms of expectations. So one of the things we have to understand is they're going to be a, a very significant shakeout as generative AI falls down into the valley of despair and people say, oh, well, it wasn't what we thought it was, but it will recover to a plateau of productivity. In what time frame? That's up to us to decide. How fast can we respond to the hype, put guardrails around the risks, and bring this particular technology to the place where it's working best for everybody. I say all that to say there's this another there's another AI that on the Gartner hype cycle is down here at the very entry level. It's called causal AI. And what causal AI does, unlike generative AI, which is a probabilistic model based upon patterns, you know, it's just it's just looking at the data to decide what's the next word. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cognitive AI starts at a different place with far less data and efficiently does a root cause analysis of what were the factors in that set of circumstances that led to success. So, what causal AI does, it helps us define what good looks like yeah. and is predictive based upon not guesses but actual facts about what led to success in a variety of different circumstances addressing the same kind of need. So I believe that we're going to continue to see new applications and they're going to continue to be refined, but I'd keep my eye on causal AI Hmm. and tool with all the data we've got. You know, can't we insert the data of a law firm into a causal AI engine and then begin to see the root causes of success and then begin to staff, begin to hire, begin to utilize facts as opposed to suspicions and gut feelings to decide who to hire and how to utilize them at their best. I know this sounds like we're mechanizing people. That's not the purpose. My belief about organizational health is that the people who serve best and perform best are those that are doing what they do best. Fascinating stuff. Larry, thank you for this Artificial Intelligence 101, an introduction for those of us that are just trying to get up to speed. And this is just part one, a reminder that Larry will join us again on the next episode for a bit of a deeper dive into AI and its place 
in our workplace. Until then, here's to better conversations. Have a great day.